promises will come. But woe to him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespasses against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turns again to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, be rooted up and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you who has a servant plowing or feeding will say to him immediately after he has come from the field, come, recline? Will he not say to him, prepare something so that I may eat and gird yourself and serve me until I eat and drink, and afterward you shall eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise you, when you shall have done all the things commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, for we have done what we ought to do. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Suppose that you were at a circus and oh man, there are things going on on all three rings and you're just really enjoying the show. And then all the lights go down and there in the center ring, high, high above is stretched a tight wire. And there is a gentleman standing up there. And people, he, and the announcer asks, does anyone think that this man can walk back and forth across this wire? If so, let's see your hands. And all the hands go up. And then the guy walks back and forth across the wire. And then the announcer asks, does anyone think that he can ride that bicycle up there back and forth across this wire? If you think that he can do that, if you believe he can do that, let's see your hands. And the hands all go up all over the place. And the man rides the bicycle across and then he backs it or back across again. And then the announcer says, how many of you believe that this man could carry someone back and forth across this wire on the back of that bicycle? And all the hands go up again. And then the announcer says, now who will be the first one to ride on the back of the bicycle? And all the hands come back down. At the end of this passage, or in the middle of it actually, the disciples cry out, Lord, increase our faith. And the thing is, a lot of us are just like those disciples. We have faith, but we don't have as much as we think we ought to. And, uh, you know, just think, how many times have you thought, if, if I just had more faith, I could be a better person. 
If I just had more faith, I could serve the Lord better. If I had more faith, I could, I could do more things in the church. If I had more faith, I wouldn't be so timid. And there's all sorts of things where if I had more faith and then you can fill in the blank. And uh, the thing is, you see, there's a difference between belief and faith. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Belief involves knowledge and experience. The guy on the high wire up there, people experienced watching him go back and forth, didn't they? They had knowledge and they had experience. And so they believed that he could do that. But then whenever they were asked who will hop on the back, no one really had faith in him to get them back and forth across there. Do you see the difference there? You see, faith involves knowledge and experience. I'm sorry, belief involves knowledge and experience, and faith adds to knowledge and experience trust and commitment. Trust and commitment. And this is one of the problems that we face is in the area of trust and commitment. We can believe a lot of things. We can have all sorts of head knowledge. We can memorize the whole Bible we can tell you the history of Israel and uh, all the different events in Jesus' life and believe that they really happen and really believe in the Bible. But when it comes to taking some of the steps that Jesus wants us to take, sometimes we realize we, we feel like we need more faith, just like the uh, uh, disciples did here. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And as I was thinking about this today or the last night, it dawned on me that the best example that Jesus gives us of this is when he's sitting out and just watching people put money in the treasury. And there are people coming up with tons of stuff and they're blowing horns and making a big to-do out of all the uh, different gifts that are being given. And then this little old widow comes up and she takes her mite, her little widow's mite, and she drops that mite in the treasury box. And Jesus gets excited. He said, did you see that? Did you see what that woman did? I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. These others, they gave more stuff, but she gave all that she had. Now, see, that's an example of faith. There was trust. There was commitment. And when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, there's also love. She loved the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her might, all her mind. And because she embraced that first commandment and lived it in faith, she could in good conscience drop all the money she had in the world in that box 
because she had faith that God was going to be her source. She wasn't tied to what that little mite could bring. She was tied to how do I express myself to my God? You see, all of a sudden faith became concrete. All of a sudden we saw in her evidence of things hoped for and also the substance of things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And where is that substance manifested? Where is the evidence seen? In human lives that have been given to God. You see that? And so anyway, in this passage, when you begin with verse 1, we've got to remember that this is still a part of a discourse that began back in the 14th chapter of Luke when he was fellowshipping with tax collectors and sinners. And all of the scribes and Pharisees were grumbling because he was eating and associating with tax collectors and sinners. And they were coming to know God in a way they didn't think that they could. They were being welcomed into the kingdom where these scribes and Pharisees saw them as just minions of the devil that even whatever they taught them, they wanted to do it at a distance because they didn't want to sully their righteousness with these unrighteous people. And if you recall, Jesus told three parables. The parable of, first of all, the lost sheep, and then the lost coin, and then the lost son. And in every one of these, he was jabbing at the scribes and the Pharisees because they weren't doing what the God that they proclaimed themselves as serving wanted them to do. And so he goes on. And he's finishing up, he finishes up his, his uh, talking in the earshot of the scribes and the Pharisees and just rubbing salt in their wounds as uh, he has uh, really put them in their place and called them to task for excluding people from the kingdom that God wanted to come in. And then he turns to his disciples and he says these words, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. Stumbling blocks, things that cause us to trip up in our walk with the Lord, things that can be snares to us and pull us away from God. The word stumbling block can mean the spring on a snare that pops up and causes the noose to tighten. It's a trap. We're going to come across snares. We're going to come across traps. And he says, it's inevitable. These things are going to happen. But then he says, woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause 
one of these little ones to stumble, talking about kids and also talking about those tax collectors and sinners that are coming into the kingdom that the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to exclude. Woe to the one that brings stumbling blocks or puts stumbling blocks in the way. If you think about that, that's a heavy amount of responsibility because what he's doing, he's telling his disciples that they need to live their lives. They need to communicate. They need to make sure that nothing they say or do is going to or, or teach is going to lead anyone astray. Now, this would include false teaching, which we see a lot of today. It would include getting kids involved in drugs, in immorality, and sin. And so many people are trying to tell our kids that these things are okay. He said, don't be one of those people. He said, it'd be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck. There's one thing worse than hell. Did you know that? I can think of one thing worse than hell. And that's having a son or daughter say, Dad, Mom, I'm here because of you. Don't you think that would be worse than hell? And so we are warned to be careful and not be a stumbling block. And then he starts talking about forgiveness. And he says, if somebody sins against you and they, add, they repent and ask you for, for, forgive them. If they do it seven times in one day and they come to you seven times and they repent, forgive them. And this is the point where the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. Because they realize that this is hard to never be a stumbling block to anyone, to, to never, ever be in a spot where you don't forgive someone that's asked you for forgiveness seven times. It's overwhelming to them. They don't think they can do it. They want to, and they have faith. You've got to remember, these guys have already been sent out and they've gone into villages all around and they have proclaimed the good news of the gospel and people have come into the kingdom of God under their teaching. They have healed the sick. They have cast out demons and come back rejoicing to the Lord saying, Lord, even the demons have to respond when we say things in your name. And they remember what he told them? He said, don't rejoice that the demons have to respond to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Well, they have seen all this stuff. They have experienced all this stuff. You see, they've got knowledge. They have experience. And they know, they, have, they believe that Jesus can do all sorts of things. Where their lack of faith comes in here is they don't have faith in themselves. They don't have faith in themselves. At that point, they remind me of the gentleman whose 
son was being uh, taken over by uh, by a, an evil spirit that was causing them to to just writhe on the ground. And if you'll recall, they the disciples couldn't cast it out. Jesus comes around and they say, and he says, what's going on? He explains. And then the father says, Lord, if you can. And Jesus says, if I can, if you believe, then it can be done. You remember his reply? Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And he's where a lot of us are. We have this mixture of belief and unbelief. And at that point, Jesus uses the example of the mustard seed, only he uses it a little bit different way. And he says, if you have faith, he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He doesn't say the size of a mustard seed. He says it's like a mustard seed. That even though it is one of the smallest, teensiest little seeds around, whenever it's mature, it's a bush or a tree that's 10 feet tall and birds can nest in its branches. And so here, whenever they cry out, Lord, increase our faith, it looks like he's just giving a really crazy example, doesn't it? He said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this sycamine tree, be uprooted and cast and planted and planted in the sea. He doesn't just say cast in the sea, planted. That means it would have roots in the sea and grow. I mean, that's something really far out said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, this could happen. And then he goes on and he gives some instructions to us as to how to increase our faith. And basically what he's saying, to make a long story short, is the way you increase your faith, you exercise what? Little bit of faith that you have. Just that little dab that you have. And as you exercise your faith, your unbelief will start to fall away. And so that's kind of what he's getting at whenever he is talking to his disciples about being like a servant. Now, he says, and, and it really they've come to the place where they're finally where we're really supposed to start in our walk with the Lord. Do you remember what Jesus said at the very beginning of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that realize they, they need help. That's what he's saying. Blessed are those who realize they can't get into this thing on their own, that it's going to take the Lord's help. So they're finally at the place where they can start receiving from him. They've got the self-aggrandizement out of the way. They've got all the other things out of the way. And they're just there needy before God. If they're going to continue in the way he wants them to go, they need help big time. And he tells them how to get it. Now then, he says, you want to have more faith? Well, just consider a servant that your servant's been out in the field all day and he comes in. You wouldn't sit down and want to want to serve the servant. You tell him, go clean up and fix your dinner. 
and serve you. And uh, if you're that servant, after it's all over, then all you do is you say, I'm just an unworthy servant. I just did what I was supposed to do. Now, what he's talking about is our position before God. A lot of people get offended by this particular passage today because it refers to a servant or a slave. And uh, we just can't have it. And they're starting to, and they'll take this passage, use the example of you, we should just throw the Bible out instead of trying to understand what it's saying. Now, a servant or a slave in the middle, in, in Israel at that time, wasn't like a slave on a cotton plantation in the South. Look, think more along the lines of Downton Abbey. And if you'll recall the servants in the series of Downton Abbey, they had their place in the house. They identified with their master. And their master's integrity and honor was reflected in them. And when they would go to the store to buy something, they were acting on their master's behalf. Do you see the parallel between us, whatever Jesus says, if you do anything in my name, and he was told to go forth in his name, we go forth as his servants. It's not that we just get power in his name, but we are have given ourselves to him. And now that we're his servants, anything that we do, is done in his name. And earlier this week, it hit me that we are emissaries of Christ. Every day, 24-7, we are his. And anything that we do, even when you're at home alone and you're there in front of your computer and you start clicking on different links and Google is keeping up with it, let's face it, you are witnessing whose you are. And the links that you click are either going to bring honor or dishonor to the one whom you serve. Whenever you're having a conversation with your children, you're bringing honor or dishonor to God. Because you have given yourself to him. He has given himself to you. You're a part of his household. You're a part of his family. And now then, anything you do, you're a part of him. And as you are, he's going to have your back. And you're going to, as you represent him, he's going to be taking care of you. Because you're a part of his household. So he basically what he's saying is uh, what I want you to do is just start doing what you know you're supposed to do. And as you do the right thing, as you continue to do the right thing and make the right choices moment by moment, choice by choice, conversation by conversation, purchase by purchase, Smiling at the people and letting them have the right of way when they come up to the stop sign. Not cutting people off. Not getting upset with people that cut in front of you. In all those places, all those times, you are representing the Lord. Well, you remember the story of the wicked servant? The one that had the one talent? He says at the end, he, he took his and he hid it, he buried it. And the master says to him, you wicked servant. 
You knew what I was expecting of you and you paid no heed. I sure don't want the Lord saying that to me when I stand before him. You see, the wicked servant, the one talent servant, he knew what the Lord wanted. He knew what would please his master and he totally disregarded that and went on and did his own thing. Do you see that? And that's why he was a wicked servant is because he didn't acknowledge his place in connection with God. That's the way all this trouble began in the world. If you'll recall the Garden of Eden, Satan's lie was, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you can be like God. And so when she took a bite, she was trying to usurp God's place in existence. And we never can. And it's with that that things began to fall apart. And so whenever we submit ourselves to him, when we give ourselves to him, all of a sudden we become faithful servants. And as we're faithful servants, then wonderful things happen. Everything you do reflects your master and his household. You know, on, on September the 10th, 1946, September, the year that Sharon and I were both born, 1946, Mother Teresa was at a retreat. And at this retreat, the Lord spoke to her. And he called her, she calls it a calling within a call. She'd been called to serve him as a nun. And then he took her further and he spoke to her and he said, I want you to come and be my light. I want you to go into the darkest parts of Calcutta and I want you to serve those who are there. And he said, I can't go there alone. He said, they don't know me, so they don't want me. Go amongst them and carry me with you into them. Now, that's his call to every Christian every day of every year. He has called us out of a world filled with darkness. He's washed us, cleansed us, placed his light within us. And now then he's saying, go back out into a world that doesn't know me. And by knowing you, help them come to know me. They're not going to do it unless they see your faith, unless they see you dropping the widow's might, unless they see the evidence and the substance of faith being played out in you as you go forth every day and go to sleep every night as his. Our concern is supposed to be him. You know, uh, there's so many people that they think that they, they come to know the Lord for the benefits. Now, let me tell you, this is the way something that Mother Teresa came up with that shows a servant's heart toward God. And it should be our heart as well. You know, we think that uh, that we should. OK, God, I gave yourself to me. Now, bless me. This listen to this. This is her prayer. May this be our prayer as we close today. Lord, when I am hungry, give me someone needing food. When I am thirsty, send me someone needing a drink. When I am cold, send me someone to warm. When I am grieved, 
send me someone to console. When my cross grows heavy, let me carry another's cross too. When I am poor, lend me someone in need. When I have no time, give me someone I can help a little while. When I am humiliated, let me have someone to praise. When I am disheartened, send me someone to cheer. When I need understanding, give me someone who needs mine. When I need to be looked after, give me someone to care for.